Hey, Dan, what do you know about fintech? You know, Nick, not much, really. But you know who knows fintech? John Reynolds. John Reynolds knows fintech. My name is John Reynolds, the host. Uh, this is the first of a batch of fintech podcasts that TechEU is running. And today we've got a, a cracking guest to kick things off. So we're joined by Ali Nicknam, who is the founder and CEO of one of Europe's most celebrated challenger banks, Bunk, which perhaps is less well-known in the UK, but has a big presence across most of Europe. So thanks very much for joining me, Ali. You are very welcome. Just for the, I guess many listeners will know about you and Bunk, but for those who don't, just give a brief overview of um, your career today and also a bit of an overview of Bunk. Thank you, John, uh, for having me. Thank you for that wonderful intro. Um, it, it's really lovely to be introduced that way. Um, so a brief intro about me. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started coding at the age of nine. Uh, and um, Bunk is my third big uh, company to have founded or co-founded. And it's also the third unicorn I've been lucky to be associated with. Uh, now, about Bank. Bank is Europe's second largest uh, neobank. Um, we were the first in 35 years to get a greenfield banking permit. And I think most importantly, what sets us apart is our laser focus on our user users' wants and needs. Uh, we really build the product around what people uh, want. And in doing so, we created something they love to use. And we're very, very proud of that. Okay, that's fantastic. So your, your head office is in Amsterdam, and I, I think you're not in the UK at the moment, but you're in most of the European, well, a lot of European countries. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. We offered our services in the UK for a number of years, but unfortunately, due to uh, regulatory uh, changes post-Brexit, uh, we had to stop accepting new UK users. Uh, the ones we already had uh, are still there and are uh, enjoying our services. Okay, that's fantastic. So we'll come on to talk about Bunk, and it'd be great to get your opinion on the kind of challenger bank um, environment across Europe. But I just wanted to run through two news stories. It would be great to get your take on. So uh, a big news story this month has been the uh, the co-founder of another challenger bank, uh, Revolut, uh, Nick Storonsky, has given a number of interviews in which he criticised UK regulators for being extremely bureaucratic. And also, he said he would never choose the UK market to list if Revolut were to go public to list Revolut. And this comes amid, there's been a long-running saga about a delay in Revolut getting a UK uh, banking license. So I think he, he was quoted as saying, in the UK, there are higher taxes to pay and extremely bureaucratic regulators. Now, you hinted, you, you mentioned there the um, bank has been in the UK in the past. Do you think, um, I mean, from your, is, is this criticism founded from your experience with with uk regulators well you know um everybody's experience might be different so it's difficult for me to comment on whatever nick's saying um my personal experience with regulator has with regulators at large not just the uk ones but at large has been that uh, i mean those people are just trying to do their job too and their job is very different to ours, uh, their job is to make sure that everything is safe and secure, uh, and that just simply comes with uh, a bit of uh, prudent 
actions and, you know, being very selective and being very mindful and careful about things. Now, I appreciate that as a founder, I had to go through a learning cycle as well. Uh, when we got our banking license many years ago, um, because for a founder, I mean, you're enthusiastic, you're convinced about your product, you know, you know what's working, you know what's not working, you know the risk, you know, you know, and you, you have this conviction that everything has been taken care of, um, obviously. And so any hurdle standing between you and going to market is going to feel like an unnecessary one. Um, but in my experience so far, um, with maybe one or two exceptions, uh, our uh, interactions with all regulators in general and also the UK regulators specifically have been within what I would call normal and per- good relationships. Okay, that's fantastic. I think he hinted in, in one of the interviews, he said, and this might be understandable, he said regulators in the UK and perhaps more generally across Europe have been extra prudent now in light of the state rescue of Credit Suisse and the demise of Silicon Valley banks. Do you think regulators may be taking a longer time uh, to come to decisions in light of the kind of, I guess, arguably more turmoil in the market now? Well, quite honestly, we got our banking permit amidst the last financial crisis. So I think those market circumstances were far more severe and complex than today. And, you know, we pulled it off. So, you know, um, I think as an entrepreneur, um, you're, you're, you'll always face headwinds. And the way you deal with that says a lot about your ability to, to navigate tough waters. Okay, that's fantastic. Now, just the last point on this, because uh, from my understanding, you're in the midst of, you've applied for a US banking license, but it seems from from your comments there, it seems bizarre where a founder, a boss of a, a, a kind of high profile fintech company would publicly criticize regulators. I guess is that there doesn't seem to be a, a benefit or an upside. I guess it's perhaps down to the nature of the individual. But I mean, you yourself wouldn't come out and, and criticize a, a, a regulator. Well, I, I don't look. I don't know what's going on, right? So maybe, maybe there's a truth to it. Maybe there isn't. I, I cannot comment on that because I don't know the facts. Um, in in our own case, our uh, relationship with the regulator has been great. I, I guess most people know we had this gigantic uh, landmark uh, lawsuit against the uh, Dutch Central Bank because of their interpretation of um, the AML rules. But to me. Uh, that isn't a personal thing. And luckily to the regulator, that isn't a personal thing. We just had a difference of opinion on how to interpret the the law. And because that difference of opinion was there, we went to a uh, court to clarify it, not just for us, but for the sector as a whole. Now, you know, in an ideal world, obviously, all of that wouldn't be necessary, but I think it's it's all fair play, right? Everybody's doing their part. Um, but obviously, you know, some might think that because of that, our relationship with the regulator is not good, but they would be gravely mistaken because our relationship with our regulator is fantastic. And because it is good, it is that we are able to settle our differences. Um, and I'm saying all of this because I do not, I honestly do not know what's going on. 
Um, so maybe the relationship with the regulators is good, and this is just a way uh, for Nick to get free publicity. I don't know. You know, maybe it isn't good, and uh, you know, this is his like his move of desperation. Um, I don't know. I cannot read minds. I do not know the facts. There might be many reasons for any person to do whatever it is they're doing. So I don't think it's fair for me to comment uh, on his situation. I can only tell you about my own experience. Okay. No, you've been very eloquent and, and very forthcoming. So thanks for that. The second news story, very briefly, is, is a slightly different change of tact, which is all about uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which were perhaps two or three years ago were all the kind of rage as, as a big investment trend. But there's a recent new, new story points out that companies such as Meta, Disney and Microsoft have shut down their NFT projects. So, I mean, do you think the the kind of the, the hype around NFTs was perhaps, they were perhaps overly hyped and the demise was expected? Or, or I mean, do you still think they're a, an interesting proposition as an, an investment trend? Well, I think, you know, having been around for quite a while now, uh, I mean, there are benefits to getting older. I know in society we often think young is the best thing to be, and but I can promise you every age has its own advantage. And um, the advantage of being a little bit older is that uh, I've seen a number of cycles now, and um, all of the the blockchain, crypto, etc., uh, reminds me a bit of the dot com boom and bust around 2000 i mean the internet was this new thing there was a hype around it and as with any hype people get a little bit too excited every now and then and then after the hype there was a crash and then during the crash you know everybody was very um very doubtful about the internet i mean sure you could send email but you know who who cares you know what all the other stuff uh, you know it got downplayed too much and then after this too high of a high and too low of low, things settled and obviously internet now is now a common thing. Now, I believe the whole blockchain will go through the same cycle and only after it has gone through the cycle, and whether we're talking about NFTs or crypto or whatever else, only after it has gone through the cycle, we will be able to see what is left of the technology and if it has any commercially viable applications i think up until uh, today um and this is not me being skeptical but i've based on my observations there are very limited commercially viable applications there are some but not many Right. Okay. All right. Okay. That, that, that's fantastic. So let's let's crack on. Talk bunk and the challenger bank environment in Europe. So I, I touched upon the you've applied for a US uh, banking license. So from my understanding, the story I've read, you're targeting three million primarily European expats as well as European businesses operating in in the US. Can, can you talk a bit about that? Because obviously, there's um. There has been some high-profile retreats in the U.S., hasn't there, from European challenger banks? Well, I'm thinking about the German-based bank N26. I think Monzo has had some kind of troubles getting the foothold in the U.S. So, I mean, why is the U.S. market so important to, to, to bunk? That is a great uh, question. Well, let me start with saying that, in general, bunk is very contrarian. Uh, mm-hmm. 
when everybody was chasing free users, we were focusing on building a sustainable business. When everybody said, hey, you don't need a banking permit, we went for a banking permit. And now when everybody's retreating from the US, of course, we will be entering the US, hopefully, if the regulator approves, etc. Uh, but all, all joking and kidding aside, mm -hmm. I think uh, we have a very intimate relationship with our users. Um, and that's how we're able to to surprise and delight them. Uh, a very large part of our user base are users that are uh, currently labeled as digital nomads. These are people who aren't necessarily stuck to one country. They, may they might have relationships uh, across borders. They might have uh, jobs across borders, or they may have whatever rela uh, relation to, to more than one country that may, may exist. And Bank Today has a fantastic offering for these users across Europe um, because in the same interface, you can have multiple IVANs, multiple sub-accounts, so that you can pay like a local across several European um, countries, which is fantastic. I mean, if you are a German citizen today uh, and you work in the Netherlands, Bank is your friend. If you're French and you work in France, Bank is your friend. friend. If you are Dutch and you have a French holiday house, Bank is your friend, just to give you some examples. Um, and by looking at that user group, uh, we saw that the next biggest uh, area where these digital nomads are connected to uh, is the United States of America. And so it was only logical that we would follow our users uh, and apply over now, okay. I believe we'll be su successful because we're actually going there with a business plan that has been validated. We're going there because there is a need for us. Um, and, you know, that's why I think we'll be successful. Okay, that, that, that's fair enough. So, so just for clarity, you'll have a, will you have an office or offices in the US? And did you ever consider, I'm, I'm thinking about the brand awareness. I know Bunk's um, got strong uh, brand awareness in Europe, but obviously not in the US. Did you, did you ever consider partnering with a, or some type of partnership with a, because uh, the, the, the US banking environment is very competitive with a with a, a bank which has a, you know, a strong or a stronger brand awareness? Um, so about the partnering, um, yes, we did consider. I mean, obviously, um, uh, it's a part of our job to consider all, all possibilities. Um, but... Um, usually with our core services, um, we cannot offer the level of service that we would like our users to experience unless we control the whole chain. So it is very important for us to be able to have direct connections to the core banking infrastructure of a country so that we can uh, do some of the amazing things that we do, like automatic budgeting, for example, which would otherwise not be possible. So yes, we did consider... Uh, but no, in our users' benefit, we cannot go that route. And as for um, as for brand awareness, I mean, any new brand will be unaware. Um, so that's just a fact of life. Um, it will put some extra strain on us, but that's okay because that's that that's what makes it fun. I mean, we love challenges here. We love doing the impossible. We love going out of our way for our users, and so. US is just our next logical step. And yes, we will ha have a physical location there. Um, 
it's also part of the regulatory requirements. So uh, yes, we'll have a physical location there uh, in New York. Okay, that's fantastic. So let's just take a back step. So you mentioned, you alluded to this before. So you've got these various uh, accounts. You've got the Easy Green, Easy Money, and Easy Bank, which, from my understanding, they're all subscription models. So users pay a monthly fee, which I think most expensive is seventeen ninety nine euros, and the cheapest is two ninety nine a month. Which and, you, and then you offer a, a free uh, savings account. Can you of those the easy green easy money and the easy bank which is the most which is the most popular of those then? Um, currently, easy money is the most popular, um, followed by easy green and then easy bank, uh, which is also very interesting because easy bank is the cheapest tier we we have, uh, but a lot of our users are genuinely concerned about. Uh, the state of being in the world and they want to contribute to a greener, more sustainable planet and that's why they choose Easy Green because in doing so, for every 100 euros they spend mm -hmm. uh, we plant a tree and on average that averages out to a person becoming CO2 free in about two years time. So that is very popular and uh, obviously Easy Money is also very popular because of the digital nomads uh, moving cross country, moving cross uh, country boundaries. Um, that is uh, the only uh, uh, package or the only bank that allows you to do so easily and without any hassle. And then the easy bank is just a bank account, but then with some of the benefits of bank. Um, and it's it's priced also very competitively uh, against our, our peers. Uh, and then the savings account is simply a savings account. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Yeah, very, very thoroughly. That's fantastic. So just, I guess, uh, across Europe, so, I mean, in the UK, I guess people would push back against, most people are used to, to free banking in, in the UK, so perhaps people would push back against the subscription service. But across Europe, that's, is that, I mean, is that broadly accepted then? Uh, on mainland Europe, because of consumer protection rules uh, that increasingly forbid hidden fees, uh, it has become the standard to charge a couple of euros a month for your um, for your bank account. It's just that Bank was the first or one of the first to do so because we believe that nothing is free. I mean, sometimes this illusion of stuff being free occurs, and I've never quite understood why. Because I mean, if you if you look at uh, uh, I don't know uh, Royal Bank of Scotland or Barclays or whatever bank UK bank mm -hmm. is. Is on the one hand you see these uh, commercial institutions making billions of profit, and on the other hand, there's this illusion that you're getting your services for free, and you know that obviously can't both be true. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, rather than hiding fees, having uh, penalties, having uh, FX markups, having whatever else uh, people have thought uh, up over the years, we prefer to be honest and transparent with our users. And if that means that you have to pay a couple of euros a month for a honest service that is truly in your benefit, then that is what it is. At least you know what you're paying for and you okay. know how much you pay. Okay. But I mean, your tagline was or is bank of, bank of the free, isn't it? So I guess yeah. some people might, some people might find that a bit at odds with, um, when they're actually when you're actually charging a subscription fee, but as you say, I, 
Yeah, I've heard Go. that before. I think Bank of the Free, with with whom we we kind of mean, you know, the digital nomads, the people who roam around, so that you you know, you live your life and we take care of the finances, so you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want. Sometimes might be misunderstood for bank for free, which is not what we are. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, no, that's understandable. And just uh, one of the big issues in in the UK uh, with the challenger banks is that um, a high percentage of uh, of users use them as, as, as secondary uh, accounts. Uh, can you talk with, with your accounts? Can, can you give us any ballpark figures or, or figures of, of how many are actually using Bunk as, as a primary account? Sure. Uh, I believe the latest figure I, I know from the top of my head is around 65% use Bunk as a primary account. And it's only logical because if you're paying for a service, you're actually going to use it. Uh, and even the people who use it for a secondary account use it as a secondary account for good reason, usually, like uh, uh, a separate account to set aside money or a separate account to share with their uh, spouse or whatever else. So um, bank accounts are being used, for sure, yeah. Okay, All right, okay, that's fantastic. So you mentioned the, the the green account. So, I mean, you're obviously one of the more socially conscious banks. Are you... And, and 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 from what you're saying, that's a big pull for you know, particularly younger consumers. They're buying into this. And are you kind of surprised that more challenger banks have not gone down this route and, and, and followed you, or perhaps have to to some extent, but not to the kind of uh, extent where you've gone down of being a socially conscious bank. Well, not necessarily. I think one of the uh, main uh, things that bank has advocated for ever since we started was diversity and not just diversity in the way it is perceived today as in uh, having more uh, females or more uh, um, diversity in your organization in in, in the people sense but diversity in the sense that um, people should have a say consumers should have a say in the type of product they want and they need and there should be a range of different products that they're able to choose from. And I think one of the really nice things that uh, uh, challenger banks or neobanks uh, have brought to the market is exactly that. Uh, it is good that Revolut doesn't offer the same product as Bank because, you know, why would anyone need two products with this of the same thing. It is good that Bunk doesn't offer the same thing as ING. It is good that Bonzo is different to everything else so that you as a consumer can choose whatever suits you best and whatever you like. Um, so has it surprised me? Not really, because this is, I think, the cornerstone of a free market, that you get a diversity in products so the consumer choose whatever they want. Okay, yeah, that is and fantastic. it just happens to me that... It just happens to be that the social angle and, you know, concern about the environment is just very close to our hearts. And that's why Bunk has turned this way. And I guess for other founders, they will have similar considerations and their companies will uh, emerge being aligned with those considerations. Okay, that, that's great, uh, Ali. And just um, a, a, a kind of big issue, a long-running issue is Challenger Bank's reaching uh, profitability I think, Bunk, you reached uh, quarterly 
profitability. Uh, I think it's in the last quarter of 2022. Correct me if, if I'm if I'm wrong. And from my understanding, you when you next report, you, you'll be uh, profitable for the full year. Can you just explain to the listeners why why is it such a big why has it become such a big thing to be profitable at the moment? I mean, you, it'd be good to talk about because obviously. Your, one of your points of difference to other challenger banks is you were funded by yourself up to a certain to um, for a number of years, and then you bought on an external investor. Is it is when you bring on an external investor? Is is it is it of a, a demand from the investors to reach profitability, or is it? I mean, is it just a kind of perception thing, or, or you can talk about that? It'd be fantastic. Okay, so that's of course. Uh, uh, thanks for that. Uh, there's a number of questions all rolled in, into one. I'll try my best to answer them all. Um, so I think bank sustainability has always been a big thing, and sustainable in our mind means a sustainable world, hence our green efforts, but also having a sustainable company. And a sustainable company cannot exist without making profit. That is just the way it is. I mean, people should be happy that companies make profitable, are profitable and make profit because that means that uh, the, uh, the company will be there for many, many years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and will continue to offer the services at the quality level that they're used to and that they enjoy. Uh, that is the essence of the free market. And if they ever offer services, you know, that are subpar or a new company emerges that offers better services, well, then guess what? You can choose that new company and you can, and then they will become profitable and then the old company will uh, slowly uh, uh, die away. That is the essence of the free market. And I think we all agree uh, that it beats communism, so to say. Um, so that is a good thing. Now, okay. Um, in the history of Bank, we've always had a long-term view and this sustainability has been important. And so um, we uh, have had this subscription-based model for a very long time. We decided to focus on creating a product that our users love to use and in doing so that they're also willing to pay some money for. And by doing so, we created a company that is essentially in a certain sense, old-fashioned. Old-fashioned as in, you know, you have a bunch of costs, you create something that is worth, that has a value to consumers, they pay something, and if the value is more than the cost, then you become profitable. Um, Some of our peers, inspired by the abundance of money uh, Mm -hmm. that had been available because post-financial crisis and post-COVID, the money printing uh, went on at an unprecedented uh, pace. Uh, They got inspired, distracted, enticed, whatever word you want to choose for it, pressured by the investors perhaps to go a very different route, which is not to pay attention to cost vis-a-vis value, not to pay attention to efficiency of their uh, company, not to pay attention to making a product that has sufficient value for the users, but solely focus on getting as many free users on your platform as possible. Now, that is a very different strategy. Um, And I think now that the wind is turning or has turned indeed, and this abundance of money is very quickly drying up. 
because of uh, rising interest rates and totally changing environments. Now, suddenly, investors are like, wait a minute. Okay, you have 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 100 million, whatever free users on your platform. Now, please tell me, how will you ever going to make a profit? Because at the end of the day, any business that wants to survive needs to be profitable, right? Investors want to have their money back with a return, etc. So that's why investors have now woken up and said, hey, wait a minute. How will I ever make my money? back? How will I earn my money back? Um, they have in turn, I think, uh, inspired uh, 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 the other founders and other market players to focus on uh, on profitability. And so now suddenly the big thing is profitability. But to us, building a sustainable company has been at the core of our conviction ever since day one. Okay, that's that's very eloquent and yeah, very well explained. And you do expect Bung will report a full year profitability, will it, when, when it next reports its figures? Yes, we do expect so. Uh, I mean, quarterly profit because we have that uh, uh, subscription model usually uh, would mean that we would be profitable. Now, it might be. It's not in the, in my personal expectations, but it might be like, for instance, if our US plans get accelerated or we go in really big, that for such a reason we will have little profit but you know all things being equal with the certainty of 95 percent, we're going to have a very good very profitable year and i'm very proud of that okay i'm, I'm conscious that i when we start this interview beforehand i said it would be 20 25 minutes i've, we're in a, <laughs> I've got five minutes left is, is that okay have you got five minutes or um i will do my best i do have another info yes if it's five minutes i'm good we could yes right okay that, that's fantastic so just talk about i mean a lot's been mentioned about and you've alluded to that there how do you can you talk about the future of, of bunk and you're in the mortgage market now i mean which there's this kind of big, big issue, isn't it, that, that challenger banks can't just rely on transaction fees and need to move into more lucrative areas. Which lucrative areas are perhaps you are you looking into more le- uh, lending or um, embedded finance? Which areas are you looking into to, to kind of grow grow revenues? Yeah, that is a great question. So at Bunk, we th- always think the other way around. We start with our users, which are mostly digital nomads and entrepreneurs and expats and you know, international uh, people uh, and, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, we look at what they need. We look at how we can make their lives easy. Uh, and then we try to create a product that's valuable for them. So rather than trying to make profit and then coming up with a, with a product to suit uh, with it, we think, how can we be of value to our users? How can we make their lives easy? And then what product would uh, that entail? So the mortgages, for example, that you just now mentioned, um, we started developing because we noticed that many uh, of our users would like to buy their first house. And one of the issues that you had with the offering in the Netherlands is that there was this period of uncertainty that you didn't know whether you would actually get that mortgage or you wouldn't. And we reduced that period to just one day. So... That is obviously a, a, a huge sense of comfort for mm-hmm. a person who's going to buy their first house rather than being uh, in the dark for two weeks and you know not knowing what to do, you get an answer in a day. For our f- future products, the same will go. We will look at what our users want 
are, we look what their needs are, and then we'll decide uh, which product to build for them. And when we do, I'd love to tell you more about it once that moment has yeah, well, I guess you've got a lot, a, lot, a lot on your plate with the, the US launch. And in terms of, I mentioned you've got an external investor now. When, when is the likelihood that you'll take your, I think your last funding round was 2021. When When is the likelihood your next funding round then? Well, the nice thing about profitability is that you really don't need any external money anymore. Um, so it might be that we... Uh, uh, do a funding round uh, for our US expansion, depending on how aggressive we want to and uh, we want to enter the market. Uh, but all things being equal, we don't necessarily need money. And you're so I can't answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to prize into your and you, you, I mean you you're quite happy to keep funding it too. I mean it wouldn't be down to external; it'd be a mixture of external and your own money. Well, it, I don't really need to fund it anymore because we're profitable. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm just. I mean, if, if the US expansion. Okay. That's fantastic. And oh last... yeah. The US. Yeah. So the US expansion. That is the big question mark. That's true. That's okay. true. Right. And the last question. You've been very uh, patient with me, and I know I've overrun. And the last question I'm <laughs> going to okay. ask you. I had a quick look on on Glassdoor, the jobs website, and the, uh-huh. the comments about working at Bunk were largely uh, complimentary, mixed with some. Uh, criticism of your um, management style, but I mean, most of it was positive. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you have been accused of, um, hi- well, the, the bunk has been accused of hierarchical, bossy, and uh, micro manager. Uh, a micro manager. I mean, do you accept that that criticism? I mean, this was a number of them uh, accused you of being a micro manager. Do you accept that you are a, a, a hands, well, hands on, or I guess a micro manager is, 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 is a critical way of uh, expressing it? Well, I think, uh, first of all, the nice thing about Bunk is that we offer many first time employees an opportunity to uh, get a job where they can make a difference. Um, and with that comes a huge responsibility because we are dealing with people's privacy. We're dealing with people's money and maintaining the highest regard and highest standards, uh, for the benefit of our users is of paramount importance. Um, at the same time, uh, because Bunk's roots are founded in the last financial crisis where, uh, where uh, unemployment amongst young people rose to 30 to 35% in many of the countries that we operate in. Uh, Combined with our social awareness, we have always favored young people. And we always take a chance on young people. Now, many of these young people rise to the occasion and they do incredible work. I mean, if you walk around the bank office, you'll see the energy resonating. You will see... 25, 26 year olds doing jobs that usually people only do after 10, 15 years of experience and they do it well. But sometimes uh, people do not rise to the occasion um, and they fall short and they get frustrated and they get irritated and they vent. And that's what you might see uh, on Glassdoor. I mean, it's normal human emotion to be, uh, to be angry or frustrated when something doesn't work. We always find it a bit sad that people, uh, you know, don't discuss it internally. But, I mean, it's a free country. 
Um, and if people think that it is in their or their colleagues' benefit to vent online, that is obviously uh, uh, okay. Now, as for me personally, I think I am hands-on, as you would expect from any entrepreneur, uh, especially when it comes to the product. Um, I don't believe I'm a micromanager. I don't know how I would be able to manage uh, the three companies I've built, one of them having 1,700 employees, Bank now having 500 employees. I'm not sure how I could micromanage everyone. But again, I mean, I think it's emotions running high. Um, also, statistically, uh, I think it's impossible for me to micromanage all of the people who call me a micromanager. So um, I think it's more emotion than truth. Uh, to those stories Ali uh, I thank we really appreciate you taking time to speak to us you've been very forthcoming and you've answered all the questions that were put to you so we really appreciate your time and thanks very much and that's been the, the Tech EU the first episode of the Tech EU podcast and many more to come so thank you very much you're very welcome thanks for having me and I hope these podcasts will turn into amazing success and that's all the time we've got for this edition of Tech EU's What Do You Know About Fintech? If you've liked the show or not, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, rate us, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your brother, hell, tell your dog if you like. We'll see you next time. <laughs>